Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us in this podcast series for Integrative Arts and Humanities Course 241E, Social Dance, History, and Contemporary Reflections. Okay, so I am here with Joanna Bassi, who is an ethnomusicologist and dance ethnographer. Uh, we're lucky enough to have her here on the campus of Michigan State University, where she is Associate Dean for Academic Programs and Associate Professor in the Resident College of Arts and Humanities. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Did I get that right? Did I get you all You got it all right. Yeah. <laughs> Would it matter if you didn't? They can look me up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've been meaning to uh, talk and hang out together for, for a while because we both have histories in, uh, in research, in dance, um, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about kind of how you came to Michigan State University and how that, that title kind of was created for you. Sure. Um, well, I started my career as a classical musician, actually. So my bachelor's and my master's are in classical clarinet performance. Um, but I was always interested in pop music and, you know, pop music was in my house all the time. And, um, and so over, you know, in the course I played classical and then I started jazz. I did a lot of musical theater uh, pits and that kind of thing. Um, and just sort of something that was always sort of bugging me in the back of my mind was, you know, some music you were allowed to move to and some music you weren't, hmm. you know? And so as a classical musician, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of, you're, and as an audience member of classical music, you're not really invited to move. And yet in other genres, that's really what it's all about. So that was always in the back of my head. I didn't come to this research as a classical dancer in any, in any, I was a wannabe dancer the way a lot of kids are, I think, and they don't get the opportunity. Um, and so, um, uh, so I, I went to grad school for music, but this is really the thing that, you know, this relationship between popular music and classical music mm -hmm. and the way the body factored into those genres and the way that it worked was how I came to study dance. And I was, um, you know, uh, I had actually, uh, between my master's and my PhD work, I had dated a Texan. And uh, so he was a big country two-stepper. Yes. Met on a, on a on a country dance floor, and and uh, and so I was a two-stepper for years, actually. Um, so I sort of I had that dance experience, but before that, I really hadn't had any. And so, as a social dancer and someone interested in these questions, when I went back to grad school, I was sort of trying to find a topic. And a friend of mine was a ballroom dancer, and she said, "You know what? I'm moving. I'm leaving, and my dance partner isn't going to have anyone to dance with." And she essentially passed off her dance partner to me. Um, and said, you know, do you want to check this out? And it became the, where I, you know, met him and, and, and where I went became the site of my dissertation research and then the book that, that I wrote. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm teach, I was, I've been teaching in music programs uh, around the country. I started in Illinois and then was out in the East Coast at um, Bowdoin and then some other places. Uh, and I'm happy to be at, at Michigan State and I'm in an interdisciplinary college. So I get to offer classes in dance yeah. and music as I like or classes on both dance and music together, which is really exciting. Oh, and yeah. my work is, fits really very squarely with the mission of the college. So it's a really perfect fit for me. I can't imagine a better place to be. 
part of the part of the stuff that we're uh, um, digging into in this module is uh, a a purposeful focus on what it means to be a leader and a follower or a male and a female, the gender roles that are incorporated into a lot of social dance. And so um, there's a lot to talk about in this, of course. It's time to talk about um, the vexing. <laughs> but, um, I, want, I was maybe hoping I could start with a quote from your book and let's just kind of just see where we go from there. Sure. Um, so your book is called Becoming Beautiful, and it really is a understanding of, of how different people feel beautiful when they dance, de de depending on um, the style, of course. But you mention that you say, I argue that the contemporary performance of ballroom dance among amateurs generates feelings of positive personal transformation of becoming beautiful because it dissolves the actual and the ideal the shared and the individual into a singular, rich, and moving experience. I just thought that was really a fabulous sentence that kind of in, encapsulated, you know, the beginning of the journey diving into this thing. Can you kind of um, give us a, a, a deeper idea of, of, of where you started with that phrase and, and, and this book as a whole? Sure, I mean, I think, um, my work sits in an interesting relationship to a lot of this, the work on popular dance in that I'm concerned mostly with social dancers mm -hmm. who aren't professionals. They're not competing for the Olympics. They're trying to get into the Olympics. They're not, um, they're not performing for an audience. They're not, they're thinking about the audience. They're worried about an audience, but generally speaking, there's no one in it. There's no crowd sitting around. Everyone's on the floor at the same time. And so my work is informed by the literature on participatory traditions, which really, I think rightly focuses on the feeling. Mm. The partnership dances work because they feel so good, right? Mm. Um, I think in uh, dance sport and uh, the salsa congresses and that kind of thing, there's a combination of both it feeling good and you want to do it because it feels good, but also you're concerned about judges and you're concerned about the visuality. Right. Um, and I think classical dance and uh, stage dances generally really focus a lot on, on the visuality. The dancers that I worked with, I mean, it was in their mind, but it, it wasn't about that and it didn't have to be about that. Right. And so that's, I think, an important distinction because um, I think what you read there is, is true for, for uh, presentational dance forms as well, but I think for perform for for participatory traditions, that merging is really very much at the center of the experience, and I think why people do it, right? That affect uh, of feeling physically connected to another person. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, as, a, as somebody who works in the in the theater too, I feel like there's a, I can make a, a a connection between, you know, I, I tell it to my students all the time. It's that idea of like, you know, when you create uh, a sense of you know of, of longing and empathy within that character it makes us lean in we want to we want to know more and so I think that balance is interesting right if somebody really is um, truly f feeling um, taken care of and, and passionate and beautiful you, you if there is an audience you're going to lean in Right, I think that's right. And I mean, for me, I think of, I mean, my, my, the dan my dancers, the people that I worked with, uh, I think talked about being beautiful. I guess I would probably, I don't think I say this in the book this way, but I would probably shorthand it to being known, uh, right? That I think that part of 
you know, to be accepted, right? To being known and, and felt and accepted. And I think partnership dance really does that. Most of the, the other distinction, I guess, is most of the dancers that I worked with did not grow up identifying as dancers. They were, you know, probably your students' parents, right? Mm -hmm. And they started dancing after their kids went to college, as many of your students' parents are probably maybe right now looking up dance classes somewhere in the, in the uh, on Google for their neighborhood. And so it was really about um, exploring a different part of themselves that maybe they hadn't been given permission or haven't uh, made time to explore before. So many of them entered the dance floor afraid or at least nervous. Uh, I danced with a lot of guys who were shaking as they were holding you, you know, like, um, and, uh, and they're looking for, so, you know, they're looking to feel, first of all, like they can do it, um, uh, but also that they are going to be a good partner and that they're going to find a partner who can get them, you know, and they're not looking for romantic partners. A lot of times they're there with a romantic partner. It's not, it's not about romance in that way necessarily for most people. Um, but that sense of sort of, you know, I move my body and you get that and you move the, you know what I mean? And that you're in conversation without having to say a word, I think, and feeling um, kind of felt and, and known and seen by someone who gets you without language, I think is really um, part of the affect of the dance. And they're not worried so much about the visuality, the line, mm -hmm. you know, are their lines working? Are they, are they proportional? Are they, you know, any of that? It's, it's really just, does it feel good? You know, cause it's, it's it's sometimes it's hard to analyze and and create or analyze and let go in the same brain space yeah yeah but but you know in ballroom dance i think you know it'd be easy to say i mean depending on if it's the two-step or something that's more complicated there is quite a lot of rules involved and a lot of focus towards who does yeah. what and everything yeah. so there's yeah. some hurdles to get over there is, I mean, there's this, I mean, there are absolute hurdles. I mean, there are lots of hurdles for dancers to get over. So one is they've got this, all of this, um, the social discourse about dance and the baggage that people have. I think men have a lot of issues with dance, coming to dance for different social reasons than women do. So there's all that anxiety about, about becoming a dancer, you know, looking at it from the outside. Uh, and then there's just, they're, they're, they're afraid that they're not going to be able to do it. They've got all this performance anxiety. Um, and then there is so much to learn. I mean, and there is a sense in which I think, you know, it'd be, It'd be easy to think, oh, it's dancing so I can be free. I can do whatever I want. But when you're with someone else in such close proximity and moving so quickly, you can't do whatever you want. You'll hurt them, right? Yeah. And so to take care of yourself, to take care of your partner, you learn these rules. They, they escape. I mean, they eventually become habit and you don't have to think about them anymore. But that cognitive hurdle of making that, going from learning them, doing them well, and then being able to forget them, you know, and just sort of do it as a physical habit that's a long hurdle i think um and i think especially for leaders uh the the work is front-loaded for them and so uh some of them i think give up and get tired um or or discouraged before i think that's where a good teacher really makes a big difference that's so that there's so many connections to be drawn between that and you know various forms of sport or art um you know i mean because the not only are in what you're explaining to to us now is that there's hurdles, of course, with the complications of the movement and taking care of 
the partner in safety and within the styles, but there's also the hurdles of of um, being seen as the the gender, right? So right. the gender, ha, ha, help me help me understand this. <laughs> yeah, you help me understand this. <laughs> it is it's vexing. I mean, it really is, and it's the thing that a lot of people sort of stick on. So no matter what paper I present on what topic. The first question out of anyone's mouth is talk to me about gender because I don't get it. It sounds terrible, right? These men forcing these women into these positions. And and I've been trying all day to think of, there's an anthropological term for this, but I just can't, it's escaping me, um, of sort of the, um, there are the rules explicit and made kind of evident in classes. And then there's the practice. Mm. and they're both equally important and they're both effective and they both have meaning and performance. Um, but I, I've always felt like I think scholars on, of dance, of partnership dance focus on the rules, maybe not as much uh, more than the, than at least more than social dancers actually do. And I think it's just, I mean, I, I, my, the chapter that I talk about gender in my book, I feel like I cop out because I just say it's, it's confusing and incoherent. Right. And so I worked with very um, probably some of the most equitable couples in European history. Right. So like the, the people that I were working with, I had women and men, both had PhDs, both were making six figures. Uh, you know, so they were very equal in terms of a lot of their social their social capital, even though, of course, allowing for there's still asymmetrical distribution and gender. But yeah. really, I mean, the most powerful women that this country can see i worked with some of them and so i'm not you know they they wrestled with it at the, every day you know like here i am learning how to follow and i have a phd in medicine you know and bioethics or something you know whatever and um uh and it it, it doesn't make sense it isn't coherent right and so there is the practice and the rules that are um that talk about men leading and women following um and then there is the affect or the experience of that, which I don't think works that way. I think in a dancing couple, um, what makes a good couple work is that you have equal competency mm -hmm. and you have equal f actual pressure so that you can't hold a partner, like you gotta hold your hands together with equal pressure or it doesn't work. The, the partnership collapses and the couple collapses and they can't actually do any moves. So there's equal energy, there's equal competency and expertise, there's equal attention to the other. Um, and, uh, and so it doesn't, I mean, I get that the rules sort of say that the man is leading, but it doesn't feel like that in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have two good partners, there's a lot of um, sort of conversational kind of elements to that lead and follow. And right. so I don't wanna say that it's not true. Yes, men are leading and women are following, but there's also something else that's happening and when it works well, um, there's, a, there's a, a kind of equal measure of investment on both parts, I guess. And so I'd love to see those, the, and those two things in some ways cannot coexist, and yet they do. That's and so for me, one of the interesting things about partnership dances is that um, it is a place where you get to sort of be betwixt in between, mm -hmm. right? So there's this sort of Victorian era reality, and then there's this sort of, it's not in time that saying that you know gender role gender means nothing anymore. Of course, it's really important, but there's this other experience, a sort of performance of physical strength and prowess that both the men and the women are are working on, um, and 
And I think they just kind of coexist. And I don't know how to make more sense of them than that. Right. I don't want to privilege the rules, which I think is easy to do because it's all written out and people will say it. Sure. Um, and the other stuff happens, I think, in the tacit moment, you know, when you're not talking and it happens on the floor. And once you're off the floor, you don't even, you don't know how to talk about what you just experienced, right? I don't know. How did I know that he was going to do that move? How did I get him to go to that corner of the floor? Because I wanted to be there because right. I was warm and that door was open and the cool air was coming in. Like, I don't know how I made him do it, yeah. but I did. Like, and so there's that kind of thing happening too. And I think sort of, um, I don't think partnership dance is unique in this way. I think in many ways we have the rules for engagement. We have the rules that we were taught and then the ways that we live in those rules, which often kind of challenge and, and, and push against them. And I think the same thing is happening in social dance as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have some pretty interesting uh, ways of, of, of kind of like uncovering this. And I personally, I wouldn't say you cuffed out because I think there's such a, a, a fabulous way that you, that you also kind of intrinsically go into um, a couple of the characters that you, or a couple of the dancers that you interviewed uh, specifically, you know, you you make uh, reference to like um, you know like a post feminist world where you know women are seeking leadership, but the dance like a princess element, which is mm -hmm. so interesting. But also then conversely, there's that there's that kind of like that hopefully men's understanding of privilege um, mixed with the leadership and ballroom dance. You know what's interesting about this? Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, please, but please. I, I'm thinking of one of my consultants, and I would be remiss if I didn't. I didn't sort of say his thing to me. He said, "You know, it's not only women who have the princess baggage, right? The men have something similar yeah. as well, right? And they're bringing all of that to the table too. So it's everyone's uh, working it out. And it's funny. I mean, I think in the if I had to kind of, and I didn't do, and this is based on just anecdotal evidence. So I'm just sort of riffing here, but you know, the men struggled, right? Dance is not a place where men uh, culturally in America dominate, right? And so the men were the ones who were shaking and worrying about being a pleasing partner. So there's just the layers of, of the way gender expectations were working against reality and the way yeah. the, the dancers I worked with, and that's not all communities, were trying to kind of navigate the complexity of it. Um, and kind of move between kind of traditional expectations, their own desire to thwart those expectations yeah. um, were, uh, I think, really just complicated. And there's no single or simple way right. uh, to work it out. And I, you know, I think as the farther the farther down the down the path we go into our into our future, it's just going to get even more kind of fluid. Um, one of the things I did enjoy you uh, mentioning though was that. You, and I forget exactly how you said it, but it's something to the effect of like a lot of women, at least in the way that you were um, conducting your research, said that there is a potential to become a good dancer. That it seems like it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I, if, if I were to have time, if I were to go in and pursue this or if I started classes a little bit younger, yeah. I would have the potential to be a good dancer where I don't think that that is necessarily the case in men. But perhaps there is a potential to become an athlete or something or whatever that would be. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I No, I think that really the, uh, there's not a singular ballroom pedagogy or partnership dance pedagogy at lots of different, there's no single way of doing it. Lots of people do it differently. Um, but I think the people who do it well account for that very thing, right? That, that people come in 
and ge it's gendered the way people understand their potential and right. the, their capacity and then measuring the pedagogy to make them feel safe and like it is possible at every step at the beginner step at the intermediate step at an advanced step and i think uh, one of the things that can really drive um, partnership pedagogy and make dancers out of people who aren't is really attending to those hurdles that we talked about earlier and then accounting for the way people are measuring their hurdles and the challenge against their own capacity and potential mm. right and so they're balancing those um, all the time and a good um, i think a good dance teacher really gets that piece of it which is a little bit tricky because most dance teachers are extraordinary dancers and they started when they were very young and they never had any baggage about it at all and so <laughs> in terms of their their ability to do it and so it's like oh you I mean, the way it is in music too it's the extraordinary people have no you know a very little understanding of how hard it is are the ones teaching people who are struggling you know and so oh, of course uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look how easy it is look, yeah. at, look at this it's just it's just like this that's right so here's a here's a and here's a a question do you think we will ever see uh commercialized like fully nationally consumable uh male male female female ballroom dance i do yeah i mean i hope we do and i and i think uh i think we absolutely will i mean i think um yeah, I'm thinking about the scenes in Harry Potter. I don't know if you, you know, the ball scene, is it the Triwizard Tournament ball? Is that in four or something like that? I was so thrilled to see the, do you know what I'm talking about? In the, in this, in the ball scene, the ballroom scene, the partners shift from leading to follow, like every couple of phrases or every eight bars, they, yeah. you know, the, the, they're still heterosexual couples, I think. Right in that mostly, but they're switching between leading and following. I was so thrilled to see that. Um, it's a tiny little thing, but it's like, oh, it's movement. Something is happening. Right, for sure. Um, and uh, I think it's, I mean, I think really now, this is again, this is a place where on the one hand, the rules are that it's straight couples, right? Straight white couples, right? Uh, but in practice, it's not always straight white couples. There might be, that might be the case in institutionalized dance sport but there are clubs and there are places and even in the place that i worked where it wasn't allowed in some instances but in other places it was actually yeah. and so i think it's just i think we're going to see a lot more openness and a number of a number of ways and places the sort of racial dynamic of especially ballroom formal ballroom dancing um but i think we will see that yeah i'm hoping we will and i just i can't i'm hopeful and hopeful enough to think that it's only a matter of time right um, that we'll get there but I, I'm hopeful that it will happen, and I think it will have to in order for ball for partnership dances to really be successful as we, you know, as we progress as a society to what I hope will be a more open and inclusive world. We're going to need genres that are more open and inclusive, and I think ballroom has the potential to really do something remarkable in that, in that way. But there, some change has to take place on the on the on the design on the institutions. We'll say. Um, I feel like we could talk uh, for another nine hours, um, but we do have to wrap it up. Um, I asked this last question and I, you know, I think we've answered it a little bit already, but let's just uh, ask it anyway uh, for everyone that I've done a, um, a podcast with. So in the turbulent world that we live in, in the summer of 2020, how do you see or how could you see dance and social dance being used as a tool for change or empowerment? I was really hoping we would get to this question because I love this question, actually. And for me, it's really my mission kind of moving forward. So um, 
my my dream if i could like snap my fingers and this would be the case would be that everyone identifies as a dancer right that in the way that you know in the way that we all no one says that we're a breather because we all breathe right it's just in it's just what we do as humans that we would all sort of understand ourselves as dancing people right and i don't mean you know on the stage you know i'm not talking barishnikov right i'm just saying like wouldn't it be great if, if everyone, you know, it's Friday night and they thought, oh, I could go dancing or I could see a movie and everybody would be, you know, and, and this night we're going dancing and next week we'll see a movie. Right. And so and I I firmly believe and I absolutely believe and my new research is actually on dance uh, as it might um, aid uh, PTSD survivors and really? uh, aging uh, communities, people with dementia. Mm. Uh, pre-Alzheimer's. So I'm actually trying to kind of document the ways that dance actually improves the lived realities for people who are struggling in these ways, but not because, because for me that reveals how it helps all of us. It's just not always as easily observable, right, right. In, in a typical person. Right. And so I think that our, we, are, we are maker apes, as Elizabeth Gilbert says, we're maker apes. And one of the things that we need to make is performances, our performances. And so I think to be fully, you know, uh, mentally, physically, socially well and healthy and full and fulfilled uh, requires us to be creative. Like we can't let that part of our, our experience and our capacity atrophy and think that we can, that we can be happy, healthy and, and fulfilled. And so, um, so my dream would be not so much that, that, you know, would be that everybody performs dance comfortably at some level. And that doesn't mean everybody has to be great, but that everybody can do it without that fear, those hurdles that we talked about. If I could banish that anxiety about dancing being a scary thing, God, I, I could snap my fingers, that would be the thing that I would do. Um, because I do think it actually, I think it connects to our physicality, it connects to our psychology, mm -hmm. and we need it in order to sort of really reach our full capacity. And I think we see that. I think when you start dancing, you start to see and feel the effects of it and how it spills over into the other areas of your life. You can't imagine it until you do it. Right. Um, and so for me, um, especially in terms of the, the, you know, the tensions of today's society, if we could be more sensitive mm -hmm. to the people around us and what does dance teach you, right? Mm. but that way of inhabiting a space with another person and sort of bringing them into you and you bringing yourself to them in ways that are really socially appropriate and uh, open. And I guess, so for me, it feels kind of deeply and firmly, you know, uh, uh, a must in mm. terms of sort of moving, uh, you know, moving forward, especially, you know, in terms of finding peace and finding happiness and joy with other people. I think it's crucial. That was so beautifully said. But it's exciting for me. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's so beautifully said. I, I completely, I completely agree. I think, I think there's a, there's um, an ownership and a mover and something beautiful inside every one of us. It, but you're right. It is that it, there's that there's some cobwebs in front of it. Everyone comes to it differently, but there's, you know, there are different distances between finding that. Um, that's really wonderful. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I think that's a fabulous, a fabulous way to answer that question and to look at the world. Um, thank you so very much for your time. This has been 
just fabulous. I can't wait for the students to um, to uh, take part in this uh, module specifically um, and primarily because of all of your expertise and knowledge. So thanks again. Thank you so much. It's been a real treat to do it actually. And given the COVID stuff, especially I've had my head in, you know, classroom room capacity and you know six foot spacing and it's like boy it's fun to think about dance again it's it's been a while since i've had a chance to do it so and you know i've been like i said i've been uh hoping to kind of get a chance to work with you in some way uh shape or form and so this has been great and so i see us i see us someday in the future maybe 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 you can hire me for one of your uh one of your for your new studio, your new social dance studio. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. All right. Well, a new kind of dance revolution will make happen. <laughs> All right. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform students enrolled in IAH 241E Social Dance History and Contemporary Reflections course.